The New Orleans Saints still have about a handful of needs across their roster heading into training camp here in 2023, but there's one unspoken, unheralded, underrated need that will take their defense to the next level. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is good, Houdet Nation and Houdet family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Day. Thanks so much as always, all the everydayers out there making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. And of course, don't forget you could subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss the latest episode. And if you want to keep the conversation going one-on-one with me, you can head over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on saints today. As always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, your New Orleans Saints expert credential member of the media, senior writer and reporter for Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. You'd also find me every Tuesday in the Locked on NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday and then some on Locked on Saints. On today's episode of Locked on Saints, it's Wednesday, so we're getting into our midweek fundamentals, going to continue our conversation on the O-line from yesterday. So if you missed that, make sure you go and check that out. Take a look at gaps, uh, blocking schemes, things like that, as well as a little bit of an understanding about how to understand where a play might be going simply based on a quarterback's drop back. So we got that coming up for you. But first, I want to take a look at some of the big remaining needs for the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to look at three big remaining needs that they have on their roster. But I want to kind of start off with a fourth and a number one one here, which is the most underrated need that the Saints have on defense. And no, I'm not talking about an edge rusher. I'm not talking about a backup linebacker. We'll get to those in a little bit. I'm actually talking about something entirely different that we haven't really discussed here on the show. And usually when I come into these types of conversations, I have, you know, it's some advanced analytics and some stats and stuff like that to back it up. Mm -mm, Not today. Not today, because it's this simple. The New Orleans Saints need a trash talker on defense that will take their defense to the next level in 2023. They need somebody that's going to come in and go nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe with whoever it is out there on the opposite side of the field, on that offensive side, and make them feel teeny-tiny little bitty this small, game in and game out. Talk their trash, talk their talk, walk that walk, do everything that they need to do to get in the minds of opposing offenses. This is the C.J. Gardner-Johnson effect. This is the thing that made C.D. Deuce who C.D. Deuce became here in New Orleans. And a big part of that is that like we should we should always recognize that like CD was also a great player for this New Orleans Saints defense. He struggled against some of the smaller, shiftier, quicker slot receivers and things like that. But no matter when he struggled, he still came back talking his stuff, talking that mess. And I'm not even talking about him getting guys ejected and all this other stuff. I mean simply having that confidence, that dog. Listen, There is no stat sheet or box score that includes trash talking. There's no end of year award for biggest dog on the field, but you want somebody on that defensive side to where if that award ever existed, in fact, we're going to make that award here on Locked on Saints. At the end of the 2023 season, hold me to it, we're going to do 
biggest dog on defense, biggest dog on offense, and do a whole show about it, awarding those players their come up. It's the things that they deserve, the award that they deserve for being that guy. We need to see that for this New Orleans Saints defense. There was such a lack of energy over on the defensive side. And that wasn't just about the CJ Gardner Johnson trade, right? It was also injuries and inability to keep people on the field and all these other things, right? There was a whole lot of it, but you could feel that energy every now and then. And we should acknowledge that the Saints may not even have to go outside of their facility to find this. Guys like Smoke Monday, Alante Taylor, and others should absolutely be in consideration to be this person. And we should recognize that this answer may already be on the roster, but what the need is is for the Saints to be able to identify that and maximize that player in whatever position it might be. Maybe Cam Jordan's a little bit more chatty this year. Maybe Demario Davis is a little bit louder this year. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those guys. But oh, I gotta tell you, it's gotta be somebody that's ready to scrap. And that is scrap P in that defense to help bring this thing to the next level for the New Orleans Saints. They have the veteran leadership, they have the composure, they have the continuity, they rebuilt the defensive line. The, you know, there's still a couple of little things that, of course, we can, that we'll discuss here in a moment that they can sprinkle in and add and all that. But my goodness, would they just benefit from having that big personality that talks about everybody's mama on the field or whatever it is, right? Like whatever it is that ends up getting, you know, into these guys' brain and kind of like in their mind and psychs them out or whatever it might be. Like the New Orleans Saints should absolutely still have that over on the defensive side of the football. And like I said, I don't have any advanced analytics around this. There's no measure of trash talk. Maybe we can find some way to, to create that or to come up with that. But man, if the New Orleans Saints find that and put together a defensive performance, just like they did last year, maybe get a little bit better in the run game. But if they're excellent against the pass again this year, if the pass rush is kicking and if they're getting after these quarterbacks and then you all of a sudden have somebody that's making you remember that play in and play out if you're the on the opposing side of that defense that's calling into question your ability, your teammates' ability, highlighting the things that your defense is doing better than their offense, letting the people across from you know that you are not better than me. I am better than you on a down-by-down, play-by-play basis. Oh my goodness. We're talking about some Fun, 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 fun stuff on this New Orleans Saints defense. So I would absolutely love to see that from this team and or, or from an individual player that is out on the field and willing to take that stand and be that person. Again, look, trash talk and all that other stuff really matters the most if you can back it up. So that's why I highlight somebody like Alante Taylor, because it precedes him already. Alante Taylor is already a dog. He's already somebody that can go out there and make plays and will go out there and make stops and that fights with the biggest of receivers despite being a smaller corner, using his words, not my own. He trusts his speed. He has the aggression. He has the ability. So could Alante Taylor be that guy? Can he become that emotional, edgy, trash-talky leader, uber-confident, right-in-your-face will get up down in and down out. Doesn't matter if you beat him the last down, you're not going to beat him this down type of attitude. And if he can be that guy with his skill set, 
That's a that's a dream scenario for the New Orleans Saints. Probably means he also wins the CB2 spot as opposed to moving inside to the slot or being a backup CB guy or whatever. It probably means that he wins that overall spot. But man, if the Saints can find that guy and consistently get production from that player, doesn't that just feel like it takes this New Orleans Saints defense that's already talking about swagger, that's already talking about celebrating handshakes, all these other things? just to that next level. Who's that guy over on the offensive side too? Well, actually, I already have my answer for who that guy is over on the offensive side. It's Michael Thomas. Like that's, that, that is Michael Thomas's personality uh, one-to-one all the time, right? He's on 10 consistently when he's on the field. I am better than you. You are just simply in my way. And you know, Michael Thomas, if he can stay on the field and continue to be that guy, you get it over on the offensive side, but who's the guy over on the defensive side? Okay. So that's my little archetype, right? That's my little thing that I think the New Orleans Saints could absolutely use. They need a dog. They need a trash talker. They need somebody that makes the people lining up across them hate lining up across them. That's exactly what the New Orleans Saints need. But they have some other standard needs as well. Okay, we can do the analysis part of all this. I've got three big needs for the New Orleans Saints, two of which on the defensive side, one of which on the offensive side. We'll break that down as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And if you've never used FanDuel before, oh boy, is now the time to get involved. You can take your first swing at betting the MLB on FanDuel by getting up to 10 times your first bet amount back in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. So let's say that you put down 20 bucks. You're going to end up landing $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Don't even matter on your first bet. That's then $200 more that you can go and spend on betting everything from the money line to over-unders to who you think is going to hit the first home run. Whole bunch of stuff for you to get in on, all of which you can do on a safe, secure, and super super easy to use app that will pay you out instantly. So all you have to do to sign up today is head over to fanduel.com slash locked on. So you're going to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on fanduel official partner of major league baseball. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of locked on saints. Thanks again, as always, making locked on saints, your first listen of the day every day. For all the everydayers out there, tomorrow is Thursday, so that means we're getting back to position battles. We're going to take a look at edge rusher number two. Who's going to be the guy to get the first start opposite Cam Jordan, but also who's going to be the guy to see the most reps opposite Cam Jordan? Those are probably two different answers. We're going to break them down in tomorrow's episode. Today, though, we're taking a look at some of the biggest remaining needs for the New Orleans Saints roster. We talked about that defensive player that's got that dog in him, that's going to be the trash talker, all that. And I want to apply the same principles to these three spots as well for the New Orleans Saints. They could be new players that are added. It could be also just figuring out that guys on the roster already are the answer that they need. So the three big things that I'm looking at in no particular order are your your, uh, another veteran edge rusher or your next kind of situational edge rusher that you trust on third and long and you know needing to get a stop at the end of a game, things like that. So who's your other trustworthy edge rusher that's not named Cam Jordan? Secondly, who's going to be your 
extra linebacker that you can fold in in place of guys like Pete Werner, just in case there's an injury there. Who is that player? Maybe that's a veteran that you bring in. Maybe it's somebody that's on the roster. And lastly, I've been thinking a lot about this when it comes to wide receiver, and I've been talking about needing that quintessential slot wide receiver, Hunter Renfro type, right? But I do think that the Saints need to figure out too, who's your yards after catch threat that you can get the ball on a five-yard pass that can turn it into a 75-yard score to open up a game? Who is that player? We might already know the answer, but finding out that answer for sure could be an entirely new level to this New Orleans Saints offense. Let's start there with that wide receiver. The first person that comes to my mind, and maybe that comes to your mind as well, is Rashid Shahid. He is one of the most prolific kick returners in FCS history, still holds the record and is tied for the record for most kick return touchdowns in a career in FCS play with seven kick return touchdowns. So is he the guy that you can get the ball to out in space? He immediately turns into a returner, has great vision, has fantastic moves, can evade tacklers, all these other things, and then find his way to a 75-yard catch and run all of a sudden. Yeah, Rashichi could be that guy. But I think to me, the biggest question is how quickly can you find the answer to that question? Can you learn that during training camp? Can you solidify that Rashid Shahid is that bad a man? And I think he can be. Let me be very, very clear. I 100% think he can be. Uh, But also, is that maybe a spot where you allow Lynn Bowden to have maybe more reps at wide receiver and as a pass catcher, as opposed to just out of the backfield as a running back? He is classified as a running back on the New Orleans Saints roster presently. Is that a spot where maybe Chris Olave develops further as a yards after catch threat? We know that Michael Thomas can fight for some yards after catch because of his ability to catch a pass and immediately turn upfield and start working. But who's the game breaker where you get the ball in his hands and all of a sudden he's your Percy Harvin, your Deshaun Jackson, your Golden Tate? Who is that guy? The New Orleans Saints used to be a team that consistently led the league in yards after catch. This past year, they were about middle of the pack in that in that rate, which isn't bad. It's also not great, right? But that's the difference between having a 4,000-yard passer and a 4,500-yard passer or potentially a 5,000-yard passer. Like even in Drew Brees' day, yards after catch were such a big part of what he did, even at his peak of being able to get down the field and all those other things. So when you've got Derek Carr under center, you know this is a guy that's been top 10 in the NFL in terms of completions over 20 plus yards every single season for the last three seasons. Thank you to 33rd team for that reference. And then I think you look at how maybe you can take advantage of how many times does that 20 plus yard completion rate need to be through the air versus how many can be high percentage passes within five to 10 yards that turn into 20, 25, 30 yard pickups, 75 yard touchdowns, all those things. The Devry Henderson, Robert Meacham types the Alvin Kamara, right? Maybe Alvin Kamara just simply is that guy, but do you have another one of those players at wide receiver that you can throw to and then get those yards after catch? So that's one. And this also brings back the screen pass for New Orleans. They were so not using the screen last year and it surprised so many of us. That player helps you bring that back to your offense as well. All right, let's jump over to the defensive side and look at edge rusher. I think The thing that I'm really looking at is not necessarily the starting edge rusher opposite Cam Jordan, but who's the trusty, wily veteran that you can throw in in a pass rush situation? The the Justin Houston late in his career that the Baltimore Ravens absolutely helped to explode just a couple of years ago, or maybe it was just last year, but recently, in recent years and recent past. 
who is that player? I, I've been a big time proponent of guys like Yannick Ngakwe and all that, but you know, whoever it is, like who's that guy that is just the proven edge rusher that's able to come in and help out and you know pick up six, seven sacks on a season that you can trust in certain situations to come in and be the guy that, you know, on a third and 10, you can put in a situational pass rush, um, uh, you know, opportunity to go out there and just get after the quarterback. And that becomes that player's bread and butter. You don't need them for the run defense. You don't need them out there going sideline to sideline, helping to defend the flats and getting out there in screens and all that. No, 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 no. Who's the guy that you put out on the field and say, go get him? Who's that player? And that could be Peyton Turner. That could be Carl Granderson. That could be Tano Passigno. That could be Isaiah Foskey. Or you can go out there and find a veteran that can go ahead and get it done. Um, uh, Justin Houston is a free agent, in fact. So he was somebody that like I named as an archetype for it. But maybe not only is he the archetype, the guy had nine and a half sacks last season in 2022. And he was able to do all of that off of being a guy that got mixed in in situations, not being somebody that was out there every single snap, every single play or anything like that. He was just somebody that was like, all right, you have a job. Now go do that job. Do the New Orleans Saints have that? And can that person come out enough for them to see it? Or do the New Orleans Saints need to go and find that player? And could Justin Houston even be that player? I'm looking back at his uh, uh, pass rushing snaps. So 306 last season, uh, was the lowest in his career since 2011, his rookie year, where he went 206. So that was the goal with him, was to save him effectively and utilize him in those pass rushing situations. He uh, had 423 total snaps last year, Justin Houston did in that Baltimore defense. 306 of them were pass rushing snaps. 24 were in coverage and only 93 were in run defense snaps. They put that dude out on the field and say, go get you a quarterback. And the New Orleans Saints could absolutely use that player as well. Lastly, that mix-in linebacker that can come in and maybe help to generate some second-level pressure that can be uh, your you know, a guy that can also drop back into coverage, maybe like a little bit of an all-around guy. And that might turn out to be DeMarco Jackson. DeMarco Jackson played an immensely heavy on-ball role when he was at App State before the New Orleans Saints drafted him. They're now training him to kind of be the Mike linebacker, maybe a little bit more coverage opportunity for him. Shuffles his feet a little bit too much, which means that he can have like a little bit of a false step or be one step behind in terms of his breaks and stuff like that. But if he can address that over the course of the offseason, training camp and everything, then he might turn out to be that guy. But I do think that a veteran linebacker could go a long way for the New Orleans Saints. I still pump up the name Deion Jones, not just because of the LSU connection. Shout out LSU men's baseball, by the way. Please go check out Caroline Fenton over at Lockton LSU celebrating the national championship LSU baseball team. But also, he's somebody that has a connection with Joe Woods. He played for the Browns defense last year. Joe Woods was the defensive uh, coordinator there. The big question, though, is like, is Deion Jones willing to come in and play a second linebacker role, a third linebacker role? behind guys like Demario Davis and Pete Werner and be a situationally deployed player? Or is he looking for a starting opportunity? I wouldn't blame him for looking for a starting opportunity first. But if that opportunity doesn't come, come on, big fella. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for you here in New Orleans. So those are some of the three kind of like, not just like positional needs, but archetype needs, archetypical needs that say like, here's specifically what the New Orleans Saints can use from that position. So I, I hope that that was a lot of, well, I mean, it was, fun for me. So I hope it was fun for you. All right. So coming up next though, we're going to dive into our midweek fundamentals, breaking down the offensive line, gaps, blocking schemes, basic stuff, but also 
how to know where you think the ball might go based on how far a quarterback drops back. Yeah, it really is sometimes that simple. Got that coming up for you as we continue on to wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Who that nation wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints with our midweek fundamentals. This is what we do every single Wednesday in our final segment, just to have a little fun being football fans for a second, learn the game a little bit more and have some fun with all that. So I want to dive right in here because we got a lot of material to go over, but I want to start off with the offensive line. We did a full breakdown of the offensive line in yesterday's episode and how important they are to the New Orleans Saints' success in 2023. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you go back and check that out. It's a good episode, I thought. thought we did a good job with it. Uh, but I, I want to look now at what are we talking about when we talk about the offensive line, right? We, we do a lot of these like, oh, you know, you have to keep from pressure in the A-gap, but what is the A-gap? Or you want to, you know, we want to see, you know, the New Orleans Saints, one of the things that they recently said, it was um, Dennis Allen talking about Lucas Kroll. He said one of the things that they want to find out is if he's a guy that can go in there and help block that C gap, block that outside gap and all those other things. But what exactly does that mean? So for some folks, this might be a little bit of a review. For others, this is brand new information. We have new listeners every single day. So we want to make sure that we're bringing you a good understanding of the game of football in addition to New Orleans Saints football. So let's look at the New Orleans Saints offensive line. Uh, Trevor Penning at left. In fact, we're just going to look at one half because these things are mirrored. Okay. So let's think about Trevor Penning at left tackle, Andrew Speed at left guard, Eric McCoy at center. So everything that we're going to discuss on the left side of the ball applies to the right side of the ball as well in terms of the offensive line. So you can just kind of mirror these things. So gaps between the guard and center are considered the A gap. They're the first gap from the inside, hence A, and it just continues on to the outside. So the first gap between center and guard, A gap. First gap or the gap between uh, guard and tackle, B gap. The guard between, if you could imagine maybe like, let's say, Fossmer was lined up in line right next to Trevor Penning. The gap between the left tackle and the tight end is considered the C gap. And then there's technically a D gap, which is outside of, of tight end. You don't hear a lot of conversation about that. though. So when you think about those gaps, you think about A gap pressure, what we're really talking about is pressure right up the middle. When we're talking about B gap pressure, that's sort of a little bit of a blend that takes to where maybe an edge rusher is taking an inside path or an inside drive to the inside shoulder of the tackle. Right, so then they're uh, pushing towards the inside of that between the guard and the tackle. If you're coming for the C gap, then that's where you're just trying to win on the outside. That's where we get in the conversations, and this is something we'll do on another episode on another Wednesday. Uh, is looking at the defensive line kind of pressure and, and and what you're looking for, not just the gaps, which we've discussed a whole bunch here on the show, even this off season, uh, in techniques. But how does a how does an edge rusher rush the passer? And there's a couple of different ways they can go through and that they can do that. And one of the things you want to talk about all the time is running the arc, right? So this is the parabolic sort of pattern of an edge rusher that's trying to get to the outside shoulder of a left tackle or a right tackle and beat that player to the uh, quarterback. That's why you see a lot of pass sets be stepped back first by those tackles and then engaging in the in the um, in the edge rusher once they've kind of tipped their hand and said, "Okay, I'm outside pressure, inside pressure, whatever it might be." So a gap, first gap toward the inside between center and guard, B gap between guard and tackle, C gap between tackle and tight end. The reason why I highlight the C gap one is because that's one of the places where during training camp, when you're out there during like open training camps and stuff like that, or if you join when you're out in Los Angeles, for those of you that are West Coast Saints fans, if you want to see where Lucas Kroll is making his money, 
It's not just what he can do as a pass catcher. It's going to be a bit of what he can do as a pass blocker as well, or even a run blocker. And so can he protect that C gap? That's a big thing that Dennis Allen highlighted and that he wants to see more of when it comes to Lucas Kroll. So he'd be able to keep an eye and be a little bit more like, ah, okay, that's the type of, you know, if he's doing well there, it increases his chances of being tied in three in the system, depending upon how you look at Taysom Hill, right? Taysom Hill, I kind of look at as offensive weapon being his position, even though he's designated as tight end. We know the deal. Um, the other thing that I wanted to kind of highlight here is the combination or combo of blocks. And so what I mean is like double team. So there's two main ones. There's a bunch of different uh, variations of this that are, you know, uh, specific to each scheme and different teams have different languages for it and all that other stuff. But there's kind of this ace block and duo block are, are, are really common language that you'll hear around. The ace block is a double team that includes the center and the guard. So the ace block is coming together to block that A gap. Completely coincidental because duo block is not meant to block the D gap. The duo block is actually meant to block, block the B gap. So don't read too much into that. But it's a good way to remember it. Ace block happens at the A gap. So it's the center and the guard coming together to block an interior defensive lineman. This is where you'll see a lot of ace blocks going up against uh, Aaron Donald, for instance. When David Onyemata was really, really, really on his bull mess, then that was a lot of he was getting a lot of ace blocks. He was getting a lot of guards and centers that were comboing to stop him. Um, on the other hand, the double teams that happen on the outside to the to the defensive ends, for instance, will be, and sometimes it's defensive ends, sometimes it's still an interior offensive lineman, just kind of depends, or interior defensive lineman, just kind of depends on the alignment. But the other type is a duo block, which would be a double team between the guard and the tackle who come together. Now, again, different teams will use different you know, languages or different terms or that even some high school teams and high school coaches, college teams, college coaches will use some different things. But that's kind of like the base level of early blocking scheme stuff in terms of understanding what those double teams are. So anytime you hear somebody talk about ace blocks or duo blocks, there's a big thing there. Um, and now the last thing I want to look at is like, did you know, this is more like a did you know, you can kind of have an idea of where teams want to attack the field in the passing game based upon the depth of drop back of a quarterback. Now, this isn't a one-for-one one example. It doesn't necessarily mean that the first read is absolutely 100% always married to what the drop back is, but it does give you an idea of maybe where to expect the ball to go when the ball is snapped. If a quarterback takes a three-step drop and then sits, bam, you're expecting that to be a pretty quick pass, right? This is the this is a longer version of taking simply like taking a snap, taking one step and throwing it outside for a screen. It's kind of that one step drop, quick pass kind of thing. Yes. But there's also the three step drop. And when we say three step drop, we literally mean quarterback from under center takes the snap one, two, three on the feet and then is looking to throw the ball. That's usually an indication of trying to get somewhere quick, uh, trying to get seven yards, you know, one to seven yards downfield, that kind of a thing. If a quarterback is under center and they take a five-step drop, you can look for them to potentially attack the intermediate level, intermediate level, excuse me, of the field, seven to 14 yards, seven to 15 yards, something like that. Let's call it eight to 15 yards. Um, and it doesn't mean that the first read is there. It could be the second read that's there, but there's some concept developing usually in a five-step drop in the intermediate area of the field. You see a seven-step drop back from under center. Same thing, but deep downfield, 20 plus yards down the field, 15 plus yards down the field. Now, again, doesn't mean that that's the first read. The first read might be a quick check underneath to see if, you know, if, if it's a cover four and all of a sudden one of those corners is bailed and the, the flats are wide open and a linebacker is playing catch up with a running back, bam, dump the ball off and then let him let that running back get upfield because the corner has been carried upfield by the, the wide receiver, for instance. So that might be the first read, but 
if something happens and that corner is all of a sudden sitting down and squatting down and isn't getting the depth that they need, then all of a sudden there's probably a deep uh, concept of some sort, whether it be crossing routes or different things that impact one another, uh, like a dagger concept, which is the outside receiver running deep down the field and then the slot receiver running an out on the same side of the field, which allows you to potentially pull one of those corners down or pull a safety down, or maybe a safety gets too much depth or a corner gets too much depth focused on the fly route or the nine route. And then all of a sudden you can hit that out route that's coming in underneath. So there's a lot of different concepts that maybe go downfield that that seven stop drop back will end up impacting. You can see the same thing in shotgun with a one step drop, a three step drop, and then maybe like a little bit of a five step drop, but those are pretty rare. Uh, it's where you can see sort of, okay, they're clearly letting something, trying to see if something's going to develop downfield, whether first read or not. So just a quick kind of overview. And, and the reason why that's important is because if you're dropping back on a seven step drop, that means that you have to have the right amount of depth from your tackles in terms of them getting into their pass sets. If they don't get enough depth, then they might get beat toward the outside. If they get too much depth, then you might see an edge rusher come toward the inside and then get after that quarterback. So an offensive line has to be able to adjust how long it blocks, the technique that they use, their pass set sets, all these other things will have to adjust based upon the drop of that quarterback and trying to keep that pocket nice and neat so that they're able to step up off of a seven-step drop if they do want to get the ball down the field and all those things. So all these things work in concept in concert with one another. The strategy of an offensive line, the drop back of a quarterback, the the, the routes and where they're developing on the field, upfield, downfield, whatever. And also what your backs are doing. Is somebody coming up to help block or are they blocking and chipping and going and all these other things? So there's lots of different ways that all of this kind of works in concert with one another, but is an example of why the offensive line needs to have their stuff together if an offense wants to be successful. All right, y'all, I appreciate you as always making Locked On Saints. All you everydayers out there making us your first listen of the day every day. Can't wait to be back with you tomorrow. It is Thursday, so we're getting into more of our position battles. Who's going to be the guy to get the first start opposite Cam Jordan on the defensive line at edge rusher? But who's going to be the player to get the most snaps right behind Cam Jordan at the same position? I think there's two different answers. So we'll break them both down in tomorrow's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, please say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.